0: This is Bible 101, and my name is David Ewan, and let's start talking about the books. So today we'll be talking about Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. So in Nehemiah, that's related to the city of Jerusalem, which is in bad shape, so Nehemiah rebuilds the wall around the city. In the book of Esther, someone hatches a genocidal plot to bring about Israel's extinction and Esther must face the emperor to ask for help. Uh, In Job, Satan attacks a righteous man named Job and Job and his friends argue about why terrible things are happening to him. In the book of Psalms, it's a collection of 150 songs that Israel sang to God and to each other. Um, And in Proverbs, it's a collection of sayings written to help people make wise decisions that bring about justice. So let's first talk about Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. So let's see what uh, Nehemiah is about. After 70 years in exile, the Jews had returned home and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. They were able to worship God in their own land, but the city still lay in ruins. The once great capital of the promised land was a depressing rebel heap exposed to her enemies. When Nehemiah hears this, he sets out to restore the city walls. The book of Nehemiah is his story in his own words. So the book of Nehemiah is about reestablishing God's people both physically and spiritually. In the first part of the book, Nehemiah restores Jerusalem in a physical sense. When Nehemiah hears that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire, he gets permission from the Persian king to rebuild the city. The governors of surrounding territories uh viciously opposed Nehemiah's efforts but the wall is finished in just 52 days. Nehemiah also restores economic justice in the land admonishing the wealthy for taking advantage of their less fortunate brothers. In the second section Nehemiah and Erza, Ezra, I should say, bring spiritual revival to Jerusalem. Ezra reads the law of Moses aloud to the people, and the nation uh, rededicates to obeying God. Later on, Nehemiah works diligently to point people back to the law of Moses. Um, So let's talk about Nehemiah's role in the Bible. Like the book of Ezra and Esther, Nehemiah tells us what happened after the Jewish exile to Babylon. Israel has been disciplined and is now being restored to her land and her God. Nehemiah chronicles God's covenant relationship with Israel and even provides a sweeping overview of the relationship. Ezra and Nehemiah were originally considered parts one and two of the same work, and for good reason, but together they tell the story of God restoring his people, keeping his promise to them, as shown in Deuteronomy. Okay, so the quick outline of Nehemiah is this. Nehemiah gets permission to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh the city wall construction begins. Enemies threaten construction. Nehemiah alleviates pressure on the poor. The wall is completed despite the enemy's plots. Um and uh, that's essentially the overall summary. Um In the second part, we remember the law. Ezra reads the law to the people. Israel reinstates the Feast of Booths. Israel confesses sin and rededicates to God. There's a census of Jews in the land. The people worship on the wall. Nehemiah keeps aligning the people to God's law. Okay, so that's all I wanted to say about Nehemiah. Now let's go to Esther. So what is the book of Esther about? Basically, it's about courage, faith, betrayal, politics, plots of genocide. The book of Esther is a drama about how two Jews risked everything to save their people. The story is set in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. Not long ago, the Jews were taken from their land to live as captives in Babylon for 70 years. Um. God had brought a remnant of his people back to their homeland, but not everyone had returned. The Jewish people remained scattered across the Middle Eastern world, including a woman named Esther and her cousin uh, Mordecai. But although the Jews were enjoying a time of restoration, there were still those who wanted them all dead. The book of Esther focuses on four main characters. Four main characters. First one is Queen Esther the heroine. When Esther becomes queen, she keeps her Jewish descent a secret. But when she learns of a plot to kill all the Jews in the Persian provinces, she courageously uses her position to intercede on behalf of her people. Mordecai. Well, Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Mordecai is a devout Jew characterized by conviction. He is loyal, strong, and persistent. He saves the king from an assassination plot early in the story, foreshadowing his work to save the Jewish people. Then there's Haman. Uh, Haman is the enemy of the Jews. Haman rises to power in Susa, but Mordecai refuses to bow to him. Haman escalates the conflict by getting the king to sign an edict against all Jews in the empire, planning to hang Mordecai. Esther intercepts his plans and, However, and the king kills Haman instead. Uh, and then there's King, uh, Asuras. The king uh, deposes Queen Vashti when she publicly disobeys him at his banquet. He then brings on Esther on his new, as his new queen. Uh, Asuras is a very reactive character in the story. He deposes Vashti he goes along with Haman's plot, he makes grand promises to Esther, he allows Esther and Mordecai to write their own counter laws and enact their own feast. So let's talk about Esther's role in the Bible. The drama of Esther is unique among the books of the Bible. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of a covenant. At face value, it comes across more like a political novella than a movement in the biblical narrative. However, When you read Esther in the context of God's covenant relationship with Israel, it becomes clear that something bigger is stirring below the surface. Okay, for example, why do Esther and Mordecai fast? How is Mordecai so confident that the Jews will be delivered? Mordecai and Esther act in faith that someone or something will intervene for the people. Their bold faith propels the story to its end the deliverance and the prosperity of the Jews. So, uh, basically the outline of Esther. Let's talk about that now. Uh, The basic outline of Esther. The author of Esther makes great use of parallelism in storytelling. It makes it easier to understand. The first half of the book opens with a feast and lays out a problem after problem for Esther and Mordecai. While the second half resolves these problems in reverse order, and concludes with the Jewish Feast of Purim. Acerus, first part, Acerus holds a feast and selects Esther as his queen. The second part, Haman uh, plots to destroy the Jews. Number three, Esther foils Haman's plan. Number four, Esther and Mordecai institute the Feast of Purim. So that's all we wanted to say about Esther. Let's go to the book of Job. The book of Job. So what's Job about? Nobody has it better than Job. He's righteous. He's rich. He has a big, happy family. But things abruptly change. In one day, his children die when building, when a building collapses. His employees are slaughtered and his cattle are stolen. Then painful boils break out on his skin. Job loses everything and is left wondering why. The answer. Someone wants to prove that Job Job will curse God. This is the central conflict of the book. It's Job's test. Will he abandon his faith or remain loyal to God? Um, So let's talk about Job's role in the Bible. Job is the first Old Testament book of poetry. The other are Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Lamentations. Although the book of Job is best known for its story, only three of the 42 chapters are narrative. The rest are poetic discourses from Job, his friends, a young bystander, and God himself. Job is considered wisdom literature. The book helps us understand God, his creation, our relationship with him, and how we should respond. Job serves as an example of how righteous how the righteous, I should say, are not immune to suffering. In the New Testament, James cites Job as an example to Christians who suffer. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have read the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And that's in James chapter 5, verse 10 through 11 okay but let's talk get back to Job and like Job we are Satan's targets now. Peter warns us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but our response should be the same as Job's. We must resist him in our faith. That's first of Peter chapter 5 verse 8 through 9. So Job is referred to by other books. That's all I wanted to talk about, uh, Job. Let's go to Psalms. Let's go to Psalms. So Psalms is a collection of 150 poems written over hundreds of years. Many were originally put to music and used in the Jewish temples to praise the Lord. It all begins with an invitation. And this is in Psalms 1, verse 1 through 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. The man who meditates on the law of the Lord will be blessed, and by contrast, the wicked will perish. That's in Psalms 1-6. Why? Because God is king, and his Messiah will only, will one day rule. Okay, so Psalms has it all. It has history, it has poetry, it has prayer, it has song, it has chant, it has prophecy. It has it all. Psalms runs the gamut when it comes to the kind of content covered in the Bible. The Psalms addresses every major Old Testament event. It talks about creation, God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Exodus, the giving of the Torah, the conquest of the promised land. God's covenant with David, the temple in Jerusalem, the Babylonian captivity, and the return of uh, to Jerusalem. Psalms takes us through the spectrum of human experience and shows us that no matter what we go through, there is a God who listens to those who call on him. He walks beside us, goes before us, encamps around us, reigns above us, and dwells among us. So the structure of Psalms is uh, like this. It's really five smaller books in one. And since each of these smaller books is an anthology, there's really not a single narrative to follow through the book. However, there are a few things we can learn from the book's structure. Um, the first part is mostly written by uh, King David and focuses on God's ability to deliver those who fear him. We see David pour out his heart to God, beg for protect, protection, and ask for help against his enemies. All of, all of, of all of the books, I should say, this is the most personal and has the feel of a one-on-one interaction with God. In book one, we see the Lord beside us during times of trouble. So this is basically Psalms one through 41. In, uh, the second part, uh, Psalms 42 through 72, that really focuses on God as the mighty judge and king. He is the executor of justice on all nations and the rescuer of those who delight in him. In, in this second part, we see the Lord going before us to execute justice on his enemies. And in the third part, uh, Psalms 73 through 89, it's mostly written by the sons of Asaph, a family devoted to leading the people in worship of God in his temple. And you can learn more uh, about that in 1st, uh, Chronicles chapter 25 verse 1. This book, this part of the book focuses on God's relationship with the whole nation of Israel, not just the Psalmist. It emphasizes God's faithfulness, a faithfulness that spans generations. We see the Lord around us remaining faithful to his people throughout all generations. And in uh, the fourth part, that's Psalms 90 through 106, it directs our eyes to the Lord who rules over the earth. Several of these Psalms begin with simply, the Lord reigns or praise the Lord. Um, this part of Psalms shows the Lord above us, the kind of righteous God who deserves our worship and praise. In uh, the fifth part, which is Psalms 107, 150, we are called to thank him. He is our savior, deliverer of God of all. Uh, Here we see the Lord among us in his temple with his uh, people. Now let's uh, go to Proverbs. Let's talk about Proverbs. And Proverbs is about principles of wisdom, righteousness, and justice. The book of Proverbs is a collection of Solomon's wise sayings, with a few more wise men chiming in here and there throughout the book. Proverbs urges the reader to make decisions based on wisdom, justice, and righteousness. His sayings are sometimes direct instructions, sometimes general observations. Even today, Solomon is an icon of wisdom. Proverbs is our opportunity uh, to piggyback on the king's insight and make wise choices ourselves. So the, the quick outline of Proverbs is, um, the first part is to choose wisdom, uh, such as the excellence of wisdom, the drawbacks of folly, and wisdom calls. Okay, The second part is wisdom versus folly. The third part is life principles. The fourth part is wickedness, righteousness, and the similarities. And then the last part, uh, there's miscellaneous uh, advice. So those are the five books uh, that we talked about. We talked about Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. In Nehemiah, this is related to the city of Jerusalem, which is in bad shape. So Nehemiah rebuilds the wall around the city. In the second part, um, Esther, um, in the second book, uh, I should say that we talked about today, someone hatches a genocidal plot to bring about Israel's extinction, and Esther must face the emperor to ask for help. So that's the book of Esther. Then we talked about Job. Okay, this is where Satan attacks a righteous man named Job, and Job and his friends argue about why terrible things are happening to him. Um, In the fourth part, it's a collection of 150 songs that Israel sang to God and to each other, kind of like a hymnal for the ancient Israelites. And then we started talking about Proverbs. Proverbs. It's a collection of sayings written to help people make wise decisions that bring about justice. And that is our discussion with Bible 101. My name is David Ewan, and this is The Resurrection Center.